0: Turn with me to the little book of Philemon. It's right after Titus, right before Hebrews. Small little book. It's the shortest of Paul's writings. But it is a book with a very sincere and powerful message. And I believe the book will be, uh, at least the text we're going to be looking at this morning, will be a help and encouragement to anyone who's listening today. If you will, go ahead and stand to your feet. We're going to read verses 10-18 ten through eighteen of chapter one and let's pick up in verse ten. I beseech thee for my son, Onesimus, whom I have begotten in my bonds, which in time past was to thee unprofitable, but now profitable to thee and to me, whom I have sent again, thou therefore receive him that is mine on bowels, whom I would have retained with me, that in thy stead he might have ministered unto me in the bonds of the gospel. But without thy mind would I do nothing, that thy benefit should not be, as it were, of necessity, but willingly. For perhaps he therefore departed for a season, that thou shouldest receive him forever. Not now as a servant, but above a servant, a brother, beloved, specially to me. But how much more unto thee, both in the flesh and in the Lord? If thou count me therefore a partner, receive him as myself." If he hath wronged thee or oweth thee aught, put that on my account. And this morning I want to preach to you about the runaway who returns. Father, we thank you for this day that you've blessed us with, and thank you for the reading of your word this morning. Father, I humbly ask that you would help with this service now. I know you've already met with us. You've already been meeting with hearts through the music ministry. But now as we move into the message time, Lord, would you please give us Lord, extraordinary understanding from Your Word. I pray that the Holy Spirit would illuminate the Scriptures, pierce our hearts, help our conscience. Lord, help our spirits to want to draw closer to You. And I pray that You'd give great understanding of the message today. Lord, as we continue to dig through this text, just help us now. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You're going to be seated. So the Apostle Paul in this book writes to a pretty well-off Christian believer. This man Philemon, uh, we believe he was well-off because he owned slaves. And in those days, um, uh, those in the Roman Empire did own slaves. Now slavery was slightly different than we would probably think of it as, being that a hundred years ago you know, we saw some pretty horrible things a couple hundred years ago happening in our area. But even still, this Christian was a fairly well-off believer, and he owned a slave. Uh, This man, Philemon, as far as we know, was a man who lived in Colossae. And you'll see some of the people in his household's names being mentioned at the end of the book of uh, Colossians. And uh, also, based on our text, Philemon may have been one of Paul's converts while he was teaching at his Bible college in Ephesus. That was around Acts chapter 19. In verse 10, it says that all of Asia heard the word of God. Colossae was about 100 miles east of Ephesus, and that would have been in Asia Minor today, modern day modern-day Turkey. Uh, here, Paul addresses Philemon as our dearly beloved. He says that in verse 1, Philemon, our dearly beloved. And then he begins to talk about those in his household in verse 2. He says, Aphia and Archippus. And it's possible that these could have been, uh, Aphia being his wife, and Archippus could have in fact been his son. Archippus was also mentioned at the end of the book of Colossians in chapter 4. Now with Philemon, he's not just a minister in Colossae, but we learn from this book that he also has a church in his own house. That was something that was very common in those days because they didn't have the means to build buildings and gather in a in a, uh, in a central location like we do today. So a lot of their churches would have been from house to house. I believe a good principle in that is that we learn that our homes should end up being almost like a sanctuary for the Lord Jesus Christ. And in our homes, we ought to set up a, an environment there that, that brings glory and honor to God, but also um, caters to spiritual growth. And so for each of us, we ought to do that and find that maybe some, some things we could glean off of the local church. Now for a minute here, I'll, I'll explain the backstory before we get into our text. And I've tried to consolidate this down as much as possible so that I can get it to you. And I'm trying to do it in a fairly short amount of time so I, our sandwiches don't get cold and our soup doesn't get cold. So here we have Philemon. Here's the backstory. Philemon had a slave named Onesimus. Onesimus caused Philemon quite a bit of trouble. Philemon had provided a place to stay, allowed him into his home, given him sustenance, provision, allowed him to work. And in return, Onesimus uh, did him wrong. He possibly stole from him, and then he left town. Through a series of fairly providential events, Onesimus ends up in Rome while Paul is under house arrest in Rome. And during this time, he comes into contact with Paul, hears the gospel, and ultimately is led to the point of salvation. He gets saved. I believe perhaps it was because he recognized his own own criminality, and there he saw Paul arrested for preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, and yet he, in fact, was a true villain, because he had stolen, stolen from this man Philemon. No doubt... Onesimus uh, told Paul about some of the things that had happened in his life, and because of it, along the way after he was saved, we learned that Paul had discipled Onesimus. And Paul seems to charge Onesimus to make amends for any wrongdoing that he may have committed in the past, now that he had become a Christian. By the way, all Christians should do that. We should right wrongs. If you've been saved, you shouldn't leave You shouldn't leave relationships unmended that possibly you had burned some bridges in the past. Uh, You know, you should work out those wrongs and try to make things right because you're a born-again believer in Christ. Paul encouraged Onesimus to do that. More than likely, I could almost envision Onesimus and Paul having conversations as Paul was discipling him, and Onesimus brings up the fact that he was a servant of Philemon back in Colossae. And they had stolen from him. And what's interesting about it is Paul could have even been reminded of Philemon and said, I know that guy. I led him to the Lord. And then Paul ends up telling Phile- or Onesimus, you need to go back home and make this right with Philemon for you to continue to grow in grace and knowledge of the Lord. See, a lot of times our, our, our spiritual growth is, is stunted or hindered because we have not made right the wrongs in our lives. I remember there was a time in my Christian life where I had done some things um, and failed to do God's will even after I was saved. And as the years went by, I lost contact with those people that I should have been a witness to. I had no way to get in, ho- uh, get in touch with them because they were so far out of the area. So I ended up writing letters, emails, trying to write wrongs where I had not said what I should have said, did what I should have done, and those things. And I believe God blesses that. We ought to right our wrongs. So, anyway, with this fellow, Onesimus, that was something that Paul had charged him to do. And once Paul had mentored Onesimus in the ways of Christ and the Scriptures, he then encourages him to return to Philemon and seek Philemon's forgiveness. Again, what an intriguing situation, because if you consider based on social status, what's happening here? Philemon is a is a fairly well-to-do citizen in Colossae who has been led to the Lord. He's wealthy, he owns slaves, he owns property. And he was the one who was offended in this situation. And honestly, he was within his rights to have Onesimus arrested, tried, and possibly even put to death. But then on the other side of it, you have Onesimus, who was a runaway slave stole from Philemon, was not a born-again believer, but ends up in a place where he hears the gospel and gets saved. Now, from a human standpoint, these two men are on different planes, but through the eyes of God, they're on the same plane. They're all level at the foot of the cross. And these men are equal in the eyes of God. And I find it uh, not a coincidence that in Colossians chapter 3, verse 11, Paul wrote this, Where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian nor Scythian, bond nor free, but Christ is all and in all. In our text here, I want to try to draw our attention to what I believe are four truths that Paul seems to highlight in the text that teaches us about this runaway who returns. And I find that this is a pretty excellent example of God reconciling sinners to himself and leveling all believers down at the cross, as I've already mentioned. I hope today's message will be a help to you. So let's pick back up in verse 10. Paul says, I beseech thee for my son Onesimus, whom I have begotten in my bonds, which in time past was to thee unprofitable, but now profitable to thee and to me. The first thing I notice is suddenly... This man Onesimus is now profitable. Now, I think we could all agree that Onesimus was not a very profitable character prior to Paul's writing here. You say, why? I say, because the man robbed Philemon. I don't think he's very profitable. Now, the name Onesimus means profitable or useful, but there was a time in Onesimus' life that he he was not very profitable or useful, especially not for God. He was a lost man. All he cared about was his own selfish desires and his flesh, and he was looking to satisfy that any way he could. And so he steals from this man Philemon and leaves town, ends up traveling to Rome, which was roughly a thousand miles away. He was not very profitable, but suddenly, if you look in the text, look what Paul says in verse 11, which in time past was to thee unprofitable, but now profitable to thee and to me. Onesimus is now profitable. What changed? Here's the simplest answer I can give you. Jesus Christ changed Onesimus. It wasn't just the teaching of Paul the Apostle. Paul was just a man, and there were a lot of teachers in the area there in Rome. Rome was uh, what would have been heavily influenced by a, lot of, by a lot of philosophy at that time. Onesimus could have gone to any any building, any uh, temple, any, any place in the area, he could have learned a whole lot of truths. But something caused Onesimus to do a complete 180 and be completely changed. It's kind of like the old saying where somebody says, you know, just suddenly the light, it just flipped on. Anybody ever had that happen in your life before? There were some testimonies mentioned up here. I believe it was Br- Brother Curtis had mentioned a testimony about the local church. He said, just suddenly the Spirit kicked in and everything changed. <laughs> That doesn't happen just by chance. The only thing I can tell you is Jesus Christ changes people. And the Bible would agree with that. In 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17, it says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. There's there's three simple things we find in that one passage there. The first one is, positionally, we, be, we are put in Christ. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, well, how do you get in Christ? Admit you're a sinner, turn from your sin, and turn to the living God by calling on Jesus Christ to save you from your sins. The Bible is a book that teaches about God's plan to redeem mankind. All of, all of mankind has sin that come short of God's glory. And mankind is in desperate need of redemption because All of mankind has been condemned to a place called hell, which was not made for humanity. It was made for the devil and his angels. But because of sin, all of mankind has been condemned to hell. But Jesus died for our sins, was buried, rose again on the third day. And now anyone who believes in Him can be placed in Christ, and positionally we are put in Christ. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, that's by faith, you get there. The second one is provisionally. He says, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature, new creation. God changed you. And if you've never been changed, then you haven't had an encounter with God. God changes people. When a person truly understands what Christ has done for them, and that person truly calls on the name of Jesus by faith, they will be forever changed and they'll never go back. They may sin, they may mess up but they will be forever changed because of their encounter with God. And so provisionally, there's a change, but that change is not because of me. I'll tell you this much. When I was was younger, and most of y'all know my testimony, I don't need to give it out too much in detail, but I'd done some things I shouldn't have done when I was younger. I was saved at 13 years of age. I did not grow like I should have. I should have been in a local church, but I wasn't. I was floundering around in my spiritual walk. I was trying to find my own way, and I could not do it because God established the the work of the local church to help the believers. So for a number of years, I was in and out, in and out. I was doing sin, and then I would try to make it right, and I was doing sin, and I was trying to make it right. Finally, everything gets set back in order where it's supposed to, and I find a local church. In the local church, I start growing. I start learning. Well, what happens is it's not that I started to change things because I thought it was good to do. I wasn't raised in a Bible-believing home. I wasn't raised in a home that, uh, you know, everybody went through these uh, sort of what can become somewhat religious practices in church. It wasn't any of that. It was through reading and studying the Word of God, and the Lord began to work on my heart in such a way that it changed who I was. I stopped using foul language. I stopped putting bad things into my body. I stopped watching things that I shouldn't watch. These things grieved my spirit. Why? Not because of me, but because Jesus Christ changed me. And the presence of the Holy Spirit in me convicted me as I began to grow in grace and knowledge of the truth. Onesimus was affected by Jesus Christ. That's the only reason why he's mentioned as being profitable right here. It's not because of Paul, it's not because of Philemon, and it's certainly not because of Onesimus. He was a wicked criminal who deserved to be punished. It was because of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ changed Onesimus. Genuine salvation will always change people. It does not leave a person as they were, but it dramatically changes them into a new creature. Here's a for instance. Onesimus had left town. Colossae was uh, over in Asia Minor, Rome being over in Italy, a thousand miles away from one another. Onesimus could have lived out the rest of his life, never to return back to Colossae, never to see this man Philemon, and I bet you he probably would have not ever been charged for his crimes, nor would he have ever been punished. He could have gone about his life for the rest of his days. But because of the presence of Jesus in his life, And because of the bearing witness of the Holy Spirit, his conviction was greater than he could bear, and he had to return back and make things right. And genuine salvation ends up changing people and making them profitable. You say, well, Brother Tim, I don't know about me. How can I be profitable? Put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and allow Him to change you. That's how you can be profitable. That's the only way. That is absolutely the only way. Other than that, you won't be profitable. Your life will be nothing more than a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. And it's as Solomon said in the book of Ecclesiastes, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. And this is from the mouth of a man who gained almost everything the world could offer. And yet he still declared life in itself without God is vanity of vanities, all is vanity. But God makes us profitable. God made me profitable. Prior to being in the pastorate, I was wanting to go into illustration work. I wanted to be a comic book illustrator. I wanted to uh, do commercial illustration. I mean, that was what I invested most of my life in. And I had spent a lot of hours in that. But at the end of the day, the the artwork that I was creating and the stories that that I was creating there through illustration, none of them glorified Jesus Christ. They were very secular at their heart, and therefore they had no value. And no matter how much energy I put into that, it was all unprofitable. But when Jesus came into my life and changed me, Jesus made my life profitable, even today. And the same happened with Onesimus. So, first thing I noticed there in those two verses, Onesimus, he's now profitable. Now, as we move into verse 13 and verses... um, uh, I mean verse 12. We move, as we move into verse 12, we work our way down to verse 14. Find a second thing here that, that is, is good to note. Look what it says. Verse 12, Whom I have sinned again, thou therefore receive him that is mine own bowels, whom I would have retained with me, that in thy stead he might have ministered unto me in the bonds of the gospel, but without thy mind would I do nothing, that thy benefit should not be as it were of necessity, but willingly." Onesimus was seeking reconciliation or restoration with Philemon. But the thing that I noted here was that restoration is a choice. And we find from three different people here, there was a choice that was made. The first one, Onesimus, had to be willing, not of necessity, but willing to go back to Philemon to make things right. He had to be willing to go and seek restoration. Oftentimes people fail to grow in the knowledge of the Lord because they're not willing. They feel as though it's some some burden to carry. They're drudging through the Christian life and everything is a have to, not a want to. You'll never grow in grace and knowledge that way. But when your relationship with Jesus becomes a want to, I just have to know God more. I want to know my Lord and Savior. I want to know truth. I don't want to live the rest of my days living a lie. I want to know what is truth. And Jesus said, we worship the Father in spirit and truth. When an individual gets to that place of willingness and not necessity, suddenly that's when things change. I can't speak for everyone, but I know for myself, that was when my life changed. It was probably my early to mid-twenties for me that I went from necessity to to willingness. And instead of seeing my Christianity as something that I did so that I might escape hell and that was it and all the other parts of it were just of necessity, I suddenly had a willingness in me that I wanted to know God more. I wanted to know His Word more. I was hungering and thirsting after righteousness. I was wanting to seek after the deeper, deeper truths of the Word of God. And through that willingness, God Himself began to reveal things to my heart, to my life. And it changed everything. And he'll do the same for you too. Onesimus was willing to go back to seek restoration with Philemon. But then on the other side of it, Philemon's willingness. Philemon needed to restore this relationship, not out of necessity, but willingly, because that is the only way that Jesus Christ is ever glorified. Philemon himself was within his rights to imprison Onesimus, to have him charged. charged. But here Paul asked that Philemon instead receive Onesimus as a brother and even set him free. No longer would he return as just a servant or a slave, but now something had changed in that relationship. And Onesimus would return as a brother in Christ. And that's the thing. Jesus Christ makes the difference in all of our lives. I know sometimes we can get angry at one another, and we can be upset about how someone has treated us or mistreated us. But in light of Jesus Christ, who was widely rejected by the world, horribly beaten and tormented and and abused by, by the Romans and the Jews alike, in light of that, we have nothing to complain about. If God can forgive us for dying for our sins, we should be able to forgive anyone, especially a brother or sister in Christ. And we see here restoration being a choice of Onesimus and a choice by Philemon. But then the third one is this one. We also see God's willingness to seek after us for restoration. God, in John chapter 1, if you will turn there with me, chapter 14, we read how God had robed himself in flesh and dwelt among us. And I'll give you this passage here. Maybe you can write it down in your notes as well. And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. You know, it's not like God got bored in heaven and just said, Man, I just really need to go down there and do something. The Creator of all things has plenty to do, but yet in in His own humility and willingness, He robed Himself in flesh and descended down from His throne in eternity, down to a temporal world, to take care of our sin debt, that we might be restored. God was willing to do such things. Other passages we could read even. I love this passage. Go with me over to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. we sharing this with, um, I believe it was Brother Drew here recently. Um, it's been one of my favorite passages here recently. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 19. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 19. We're told here in Scripture, it says, to wit, and that word wit just means to know, to wit that God was in Christ. God was in Christ. Christ being Jesus who hung on the cross. God was there in Him. And what was He doing? He was reconciling the world. But unto who? Unto Himself. Not imputing their trespasses upon them, and hath committed unto us the word of Reconciliation. So, here in this passage, we see that God was willing to humble himself and make his way down to this world to restore us back into fellowship and into a relationship with him as well. Therefore, to return, for a person to return to God, it is a choice. For you to realize the importance of the local church, it will be a choice that you'll have to make. You know, I could stand up here and I can create all the videos in the world, and I probably even could have put more energy into the video that was made today. I can give you a whole laundry list of reasons why you should be involved in a local church, why you should come to all the services. I always say it takes four to follow, Sunday school, Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday. I could give you a whole list of these things, but the truth is it will not be until you make the choice to come and be a part of what God is doing through His local church that you'll ever reap the benefits of it. To return to God is a choice. For someone who has been floundering since COVID, COVID has brought so many people out of church and left them at home watching it online, for those who have been floundering since, it's a choice to get back. You have to realize the importance of the local church. You have to realize the importance of the work of Jesus Christ the importance of the the work of salvation, that souls would be saved from hell. You have to make the choice, and until you make the choice, you'll continue to sit and barely hear the message as it goes in one ear and out the other. And you'll never understand what God wants to do through your life through His local church. It's a choice. To return to God is a choice. And to receive those who desire to return to God is also a choice. We must welcome with open arms all those who have fallen out of fellowship with God but desire to come back. On our side out here, we have three words that I try to keep in my mind about this local church. We have, first off, faith, secondly, forgiveness, and thirdly, family. In the middle of that, you have the word forgiveness, and often there is forgiveness needed. Local churches have so much bad blood that comes along with them because so many people have been offended in a local church. So-and-so didn't do this, so-and-so did not do that. Um, you know, there's that many of the churches in Surrey County were planted from church splits. Sadly enough, that's a sad testimony of us as Christians who were supposed to be unified under the leadership of the Lord Jesus Christ, and yet we get our feelings hurt, so we go across the street and plant another church. It's ridiculous, and it's no wonder that we're all in such confusion today about Christianity. But to receive those who have. Return to God is a choice that we ought to make simply because God has forgiven us, we ought to forgive others. And a choice that a born-again believer ought to make with a willing heart, not of necessity. So that was the second thing I noticed. Now, the third truth I want to share with you is in verse 15 and, verses 15 and 16. Verse 15 says, "...for perhaps he therefore departed for a season, that thou shouldest receive him forever." Not now as a servant, but above a servant, a brother beloved, especially to me, but how much more unto thee, both in the flesh and in the Lord. The third truth that I noticed here is this, God brought Onesimus back. Do not ever discredit the providential hand of God. I have sat many a nights reflecting on my own life and trying to really bear witness to the providential guidance of the Almighty in my life to bring me to where I am now. God cares about people. God's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God robed Himself in flesh to seek and to save that which was lost. Why? Because God is love, and God does care about the souls of men and women. But God is also holy and righteous, and therefore He must judge sin the thing about Onesimus that I notice Paul mentions in verse 15 is this. He says, For perhaps he therefore departed for a season that thou shouldest receive him forever. He's pointing out that providentially, yes, Onesimus sinned. He stole. Yes, Onesimus fled town, went to Rome. And Onesimus meant it for evil, but what did God do? God meant it for good. And through those turn of events, God brought Onesimus to the place where Paul was at that Onesimus might hear the Gospel and then it all come full circle and the relationship could be restored. That wasn't the work of Onesimus. It wasn't the work of Paul. It was God's providential hand that brought Onesimus back to where he needed to be. And when he returns, a brother in Christ is returning. Now for, for Philemon, this was a pretty good thing because he wouldn't be getting back just a servant. He was actually getting back a brother in Christ. And history tells us that Christian slaves and servants were often highly sought after because of their character and integrity during those uh, first few centuries. But then also there was a son who was born. What I mean by that is that Onesimus was born again and changed. In light of eternity, Philemon receiving back not a servant but a brother in Christ is really somewhat shallow, because we know God was concerned for the soul of Onesimus. And I believe it's kind of sad that Philemon had a church in his house, and yet Onesimus seems to have never heard the gospel while he was there. How many religious people do we have, maybe even sitting here today, and it took a while for your children to truly understand the gospel message? Or How many people do we know in our own families that they claim Christianity, but yet it never rubbed off on anyone enough to change them that they might be born again and added to the family of God? See, it happens so many times because we sometimes we'll hold up in high regard religion and we fail to take care of that relationship with our Heavenly Father through His Son, Jesus Christ. But God wanted the soul of Onesimus, and so God worked out a work to where Onesimus would come to the saving knowledge of Christ. And therefore, a soul was redeemed. God worked all things together for good, for, the, for those who love Him, to them who are the called according to His purpose. And even in these turn of events, Paul is recognizing in verse 15, that though he departed for a season, now you can receive Him forever because He's a brother in Christ. Verse 16, Not now as a servant, but above a servant, a brother, beloved, especially to me, but how much more unto thee, both in the flesh and in the Lord. Here, Onesimus, when it comes to his soul being redeemed, I almost wonder if even Paul had been able to teach Onesimus about the providential guidance of God. And it may have convicted Onesimus so much that he felt the need to go back to Philemon to restore the relationship not on Philemon's behalf, but because of his relationship with God. Romans chapter 12 tells the believer to present his body as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is our reasonable service. As born-again believers, we ought to be willing to do such things, but often we fail to do that until we realize the love of God that was given to us or shown to us which then put us into the family of God. In the case of Onesimus, I believe maybe he was surrendering his life to the will of the Father, and so that's why he returned back home, and he knew where he was supposed to be. He knew where he was supposed to be. He was to return back home. He was to return back to church, back to where he was supposed to be, and that's what he did. And for some, it might be that something you need to do. Maybe you need to return back to where you're supposed to be. Uh, you know, there's there's years and years of preaching in our county, and it's sad that, that anyone in this county would not have a home church that they attend during all the services throughout the week, Sunday and Wednesday. It's a sad truth, to be honest with you. And um, not that I'm here to beat up on you today, and I'm almost done with the message, but uh, it is a sad truth, and um, you know, shame on any of us that would live in this county and not have a church that we attend regularly. You don't understand the love of Christ if you haven't found you a home church. You, you can't possibly understand it fully. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Jesus has commanded the believer to gather together with unbelievers in the, in the presence and the sight of God Almighty because it honors and glorifies the work of Jesus Christ. Here just uh, the last Sunday of the month of December, we gathered together as a body of believers and we took part in the Lord's Supper. Something that Jesus told us to do in remembrance of Him, His death, His burial, His resurrection, and even His second coming. It's hard for someone who never attends a church to be a part of such things, but yet that is a commandment that was given to born-again believers in order to glorify Jesus Christ. See, God was the one who providentially worked out the situation for Onesimus. And I want you to know this, there's a God in heaven who worked out your situation as well. If you're saved this morning, you weren't saved without God's guiding hand to lead you to the place of hearing the gospel. If you're lost this morning, now you're here in the place where you can hear the gospel very clearly. I've already shared it one time and I'll probably share it again. And you could be saved today. And I want you to know your God in heaven brought you to this place today. It wasn't by coincidence, it wasn't by fate, it wasn't by destiny or some other false god or idol out there, it was by the living God who created heaven and earth that you were brought here today. That you might hear His word, that you might restore your relationship with Him, and that just maybe you might find a home church here at Southside Baptist Church, or at least somewhere in a county that has hundreds of churches all throughout our county. God's providential hand brought all these things together this morning, and also God's providential hand brought Onesimus back to Philemon and even into uh, Paul's presence. The last thing I see here in verses 17 and 18, and I'll conclude with this, it says, If thou count me therefore a partner, receive him as myself. If he hath wronged thee or oweth thee aught, put that on mine account. There is reconciliation, or I'm sorry, let me rephrase that. There is imputation going on here that Paul is saying to Philemon, Philemon, Onesimus probably did you some wrong. Philemon may have stolen any amount from you, he may have wronged you in some way. Here's what I want you to do, Philemon I want you to take all that he owes you, and I want you to put that on my account. Paul's saying, I'll stand in his place. But here's the fourth truth that I noticed is, Paul learned this from Christ. Paul was not the originator of imputation. Christ was the originator of such things because, see Paul can say this because Christ paid Paul's debt. You may not know this, but did you know Paul the Apostle was a murderer of Christians before he was saved? This man wreaked havoc on the local church, he arrested Christians, men and women and children, and he had them sentenced to death. He was standing there when Stephen, the the first martyr, was preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, and there stood Saul of Tarsus, we know him as Paul the Apostle, consenting to the stoning death of Stephen, God's man. Paul was a murderer, evil and wicked in every right, but yet one day Paul came into contact with Jesus Christ, and Paul realized Christ had paid his sin debt. And forever Paul was changed because of such things. And his willingness to be accountable for another person's debt exemplifies, I believe, the true nature of Christianity, which is sacrifice, love, forgiveness, and even grace. Paul learned from Jesus Christ because Jesus Christ gave Paul a fresh start in his life. And without Jesus Christ, he would have never had that. But then also, in addition, Paul pays the world's debt as well. The Lord Jesus hangs on the cross at Calvary, and while the world has rejected him and his hands are pierced, blood runs down his face, his body is torn, people have taken his clothing, parting his garments, casting lots for his goods. He's lifted in the air high up on that hill of death, settled between two thieves, and yet there he utters these words, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And then while he's there, for three hours, Jesus took the full punishment for sin from the Almighty. Jesus could have caught a legion of angels to deliver him. He could have jumped down off the cross. He could have used divine power to ease his pain. That's what I would have done. But instead he hung on the cross until he could sincerely say to the Father, it is finished. It is finished. Paul's demonstration of imputation is what we have first seen in the Lord Jesus when Christ declared concerning the world to the Father, put their debt on my account. And that's what happened on the cross of Calvary. Jesus said, Father, put their debt on my account. As far as we know, Philemon restored Onesimus. And if you will, turn over to the book of Colossians, and I'll give you one last passage here as we come to the end of our message. Colossians chapter 4. In verse 9, we read, um, well, start in verse 7. All my state shall Tychicus declare unto you who is a beloved brother and a faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord, whom I have sent unto you for the same purpose that he might know your estate and comfort your hearts with who? Onesimus, a faithful and beloved brother who is one of you. They shall make known unto you all things which are done here. Onesimus was restored. Nesimus was then captured in Scripture as a faithful and beloved brother in Christ. Between 1921 and 1925, Governor Neff of the state of Texas was invited to speak at one of the prisons in that state. He spoke to the assembled prisoners and afterwards said that he would be around to listen to anything any of the convicts might wish to tell him. He would take as much time as they wanted, and Neff would keep anything they would say to him confident. The convicts began to come one at a time. One after another told him how they had been unjustly sentenced, were innocent, and wished to get out. Then finally one man came through who said, Governor Neff, I do not want to take much of your time. I only want to say that I really did what they convicted me of. But I have been here for several years. I believe I've paid my debt to society and that if I were to be released, I would be able to live an upright life and show myself worthy of your mercy. This was the man whom Governor Neth pardoned on that day. Returning to God begins with admitting that you've first gotten away. And it's not until we are ready to admit that that we will ever return to where God wants us to be.